I want to share with you today in way of message as we kick off our Christmas season, we're going to look at a series of messages over the month of December called Christmas Wonder. And what we're going to examine is a few things that we all are in awe about. I think most of us can say this Christmas season, there's just something neat about Christmas. And we always get excited and, and looking forward to celebrating Christmas around the world and especially in our own families and traditions that we have. Last night I was driving through downtown Rayford and uh, you wouldn't believe it, but the whole main street was just lit up with nothing but Christmas lights. It was absolutely beautiful. There were no cars on the street, no traffic, and I was driving through there and every sign and every light post and every, everything they could stick a light on was glowing all throughout the town. And I said, thank you for my tax dollars. Amen. But it was good. Christmas wonder. So that leads us to our first message I want to share with you. Have you ever wondered what is so fascinating about the lights at Christmas time? What makes us take notice of what is going on? Matter of fact, our, some of our folks here have done a phenomenal job decorating our, our worship center and our fellowship hall and classrooms. And you walked in this morning and you could probably feel the festive nature that something was happening in this Christmas season here in the church. We've got a tree over here in the corner and one in our worship center that's all full of lights. And I believe it was God's gift to, to all husbands to create Christmas trees with lights built into them. Isn't that a wonderful thing, right? No more searching for the light. But I want to share with you a way of our first message. It's entitled, The Lights of Christmas. The Light of Christmas. And what exactly is the light of Christmas? So I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John for a minute. And we're going to look at an, one of the seven I am statements that we see in John, and it's the I am the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, if you'll find your place there, and we're going to read from the scriptures about this wonderful aspect of the wonder of Christmas lights, and we're going to examine what the true light of Christmas is during this message today. So John chapter 8, verse 12, we have the, the uh, scripture up on the verse for you if you'd like to follow along with that. But picking up a reading in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray together. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful understanding that Jesus gives us, that he is truly the light of the world. We ask that you open our minds and our hearts to receive your word. Lord, bring conviction where it's needed. Bring comfort where it, where it is also needed. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to share with you during our message four principles about this issue of light. Four light principles to live by. Now, depending on who you are, they might not be so light in terms of physical weight, but they're going to shed some light on what does the Bible tell us about this wonder of the Christmas light and Jesus and what do we do with them. And number one, I want to share with you a picture of my house. I've been working real hard this week, and you'll may notice by, by the pictures, I'm pretty enamored by Christmas lights, right? Okay, this is what I, I, in my mind it looks like, but in reality, there's not a light up right at the moment. Uh, but this is pretty good, right? Uh, I, I know we've got several of our members that work for the power company, so y'all, they're keeping you in business, amen? Uh, hopefully those are LED lights. But that's what goes on, and, and matter of fact, I read an article in, in the Pine Bluff, in the pilot, that goes out throughout the community about a map of where we can drive around our community to see all the wonderful sights 
of Christmas lights that are, that are lit up all through Southern Pines, Aberdeen, Pinehurst, and in our area. We are absolutely enamored with lights. But first off, I want to share with you and recognize where the source of this light comes from. Notice in the passage of the Gospel of John what the writer is telling us and then what Jesus himself speaks that John records about this issue of where does the source of the light come from. In that image of that house, every single one of those lights did nothing by themselves. That tree right now that we have in our, our worship center, if I unplugged it from the receptacle, it would all of a sudden fade and dim, and it would no longer have any ability to shine. So where do we get the source that we plug into to get us to be the light of the world, as Jesus says? Well, it's Jesus. Look at the scripture again with me. And again, Jesus spoke to them. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What is Jesus telling us here? Now, the word false, light, where it comes from, it's something that emits energy and allows us to see something more clearly. And I believe, as John writes in John 1, 4, in him, being Jesus, was the light, was the life, and was the light of men. That's what we have when we are in Jesus, is this light. Now, there's three things that we can notice from this specific text. Number one, that there's a declared light. There's a declaration that Jesus makes here in the text that lets us know what that power source is that illuminates, that gives us that ability to see more clearly for the world. Jesus says, I am. Now, you may remember from the Exodus passage when Moses was in the wilderness and he comes to the burning bush experience and God speaks to Moses and tells him to go to Pharaoh and plead with him to let his people go to command him to do that. Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? And we know the story in that passage of scripture. The Bible tells us, I am sent you. Tell them I am. And here we see Jesus, the same God that was there during that burning bush experience, is now here before men, God incarnate, saying, I am the light of the world. The declaration that Jesus made here that he is the source of all light. Now, it's interesting in that text of scripture that the word war, the word world here, let's say that three times fast, right? The word world isn't referring to the created universe. It's specifically referring to the cosmos, the creation of sustained life here on earth. Jesus is talking about his creation and the created order from which God created in the seven-day account that we have in, in, the chapter, in Genesis. Jesus is talking about, not in general terms of the universe, but Jesus is saying here specifically, I am the light of the creation. Why? Because he had a hand in the creation. God spoke it into existence. And here Jesus is reinforcing the very theme we see in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. That Jesus is the light of the created world. He goes on to say that whoever follows me will, walk, will not walk in darkness. So you see, there's a, also a directing light that Jesus gives us in this passage of Scripture that lets us know how we are supposed to proceed once we're plugged into the power source. He says we're not to walk in darkness or participate with that. See, Jesus provides the direction for you and I to be able to walk clearly and understand that if we have a new creation, if we have put our trust and faith in Jesus, as Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ Jesus, behold, the old is gone, the new has come. 
We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. It directs our ways. It directs our walk. It directs our speech. directs our thoughts. It directs our desires. All of those things that make us who we are, when we're plugged into the power source, it gives us the ability to let our light shine to the whole world. So there's a declared light that Jesus says, I am God incarnate, Emmanuel, God that dwells with his creative being. It provides the directing light of what Jesus says. We won't walk in darkness. Why is that? Because Jesus changes your wanter. Isn't that an interesting concept? The things that we know now, being in Christ as we are maturing, that we still struggle with the challenges of being in the flesh, like, much like Paul did. Paul writes about this, the apostle, in, in, in Romans chapter 7, around verses 14 through 26, he talks about the internal struggle we still have being in the flesh. We don't want that while we struggle with it. What we want is righteousness. We desire that now when we're plugged in to the true light source, which is Jesus. Notice he also gives us a discerning light. He says not only not to walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. If you remember in John 10.10, Jesus talks about how the devil comes to steal, rob, and destroy, kill, rob, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. You see, we have a discerning light when we're plugged into Jesus that lets us know the true abundance of life that we have and what awaits us. Did you know the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Your eternity doesn't wait until the day you draw your last breath and die. Did you know that when you accept Jesus Christ, your eternity began that very moment with him? Why? Because when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and dwells within the heart of man. The light that we have in Jesus shines from the inside out. You ever walk by a house on your street and they got every light in the house on? It's dark outside, but every room is glowing. Curtains are wide open, and it's like that house is illuminating the entire street. Folks, that's what it's like when we have Christ in our life. It illuminates us from the inside out, and others that walk by us know there's something shining brightly with that person because there's a change that we've noticed. Jesus is the light of life. He is the light that takes away the darkness. We will have the light of life in Christ. So in John's gospel, we recognize this issue that we have light in Jesus. Paul reminds the Corinthian church this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a minute. The very God we worship that spoke light into existence that divided the darkness and provided the light is the same God that provided Emmanuel to dwell amongst us, to cast out the same darkness of sin and death and to bring life to you and I. What a beautiful understanding, the the completeness of scriptures it gives us. We've got to recognize the light and who Jesus is. But he goes on a little bit further, and I want to share with you out of 1 John John likes to write. We've got all kinds of, we've got several letters from John. John, the Gospel of John. We've got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the Revelation, the prophecy written by this same John, many scholars believe. So let's turn, and I want to share with you this walking in the light that John writes to the church again in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Now it's a little meaty, it's got some weight to it. 
But I want to share with you what he tells us. How do we, once we've recognized the light, we know that it is God incarnate that dwells within you and I through Christ Jesus. Now, how do we walk in that light? What are we to do with that as we explore the Christmas light that's been given to us? 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And let me share with you this verse. I'll read it out loud. This is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, if you've ever, men, I'm speaking more so to most of you, I think, in this audience, you ever wanted to move to Alaska, right? You watch it on the wilderness We've been talking about doing mission work in Alaska for a while, right? To scratch that itch, to get us to the great wilderness. Now, there's an issue, though, when you go to Alaska that my wife shares with me often. She's like, look, I'm from North Carolina. I grew up on the beach. I need sunshine. You see, there's a challenge in the, in the northern countries, Scandinavia, Alaska, and others, that during the, the winter months, they have a very limited amount of daylight, Sometimes there's almost no sunlight at all in Alaska. And there's a disease that is common in Alaska. It's referred to as the rickets. Now, we can get the rickets here. I remember growing up thinking, what are the rickets? You've got to be kidding me. Pulling my leg, literally, right? But the rickets are a disease of a vitamin D deficiency, something that we get from the sun. Let me explain the rickets for you. It's a softening and weakening of the bones in children primarily usually due to inadequate vitamin D. Vitamin D promotes the body's absorption of calcium and phosphorus. Extreme prolonged lack of vitamin D makes it difficult to maintain proper calcium and phosphorus levels in bones, which can cause the rickets. Now, I won't read the symptoms. That way you don't leave here thinking you got the rickets today. But I want to share with you what is known to us in the physical realm of medical science about the issue when we have a lack of exposure to the light what it does for us. And I want to share with you a few ways that we can avoid the religion rickets as we worship God this season. All right, A few ways that we can do what John is writing to the church here and making sure that we apply this walking in the light so that we can avoid the religion rickets. Number one, the scripture and the text tells us that we must consume and have a daily diet of deity. A daily diet of deity. Just like the medical, medical professionals will tell the folks in those areas, you need to be in the sun as much as you can. You see, in Alaska, many homes in their basements will have ultraviolet lights that put off and replicate what vitamin D that they would get from the sunshine would naturally produce. So they buy these very expensive light bulbs to allow them to still absorb the daily requirements of vitamin D to remain healthy. Well, for you and I, our vitamin deity is when we walk with God daily by opening his scripture, reading his word, spending our time together with him. The first first method of avoiding the religion rickets is making sure we get our daily dose of the sunshine 
of God when we read his word. Secondly, though, notice that an avoid, we need to avoid prolonged exposure to darkness. In verse 6 of 1 John chapter 6, we see here what he tells us in the very beginning. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Just like the medical professional would prescribe more sunshine and exposure to the light to those folks living in Alaska, the same thing the Bible applies in our own lives to avoid the religion rickets. We need to avoid prolonged exposure to darkness. Now, why do I say avoid it? Because, folks, we all sin. Now, that doesn't mean we're sinners. We're saints who occasionally sin. I think every man and every woman who comes to Christ still struggles with that battle of temptations. We still have a spiritual fight that's going on while we're in the flesh in this physical body. One day, however, Jesus will fix all of that when we see him face to face. Amen? We'll no longer struggle with that fleshly desire. We can thank Adam for that, but God had a plan. Amen? So number two, we've got to avoid the prolonged exposure to darkness. And how do we do that? We confess our sins, as we're going to see in a moment in the Scripture. Number three, we've got to take daily walks in the light. We've got to get our exercise in. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So we've got to walk with Jesus daily. Fourthly, though, we've got to walk alongside others. We've got to take walks with others. That word koinonia, that word fellowship that we find in verse 7 here, is John's way of saying, you're never meant to go this walk alone. We're to be in fellowship with the body of Christ. There is no such thing as a single Christian away from the body of Christ. If you are a believer in Christ without a church, you, my friend, are an orphan. You need to find a family and join it. That's God's plan for the church, to be part of the body of Christ. He is the vine, we are the branches. We must remain in Him. Often we struggle, however, when we're not walking with Jesus daily and when we're not walking with others to help strengthen and equip us as the body of Christ. Our culture has this concept of what church is messed up. It can be far from anything from the truth. What it should be is a fellowship that we have with the saints, the body of Christ, that change our life, that strengthen us and help us avoid the religion rickets. And lastly, let me share with you, verses 8 through 10 remind us to not stop taking our vitamins. The number one prescription for children in Alaska that is given to help them avoid the rickets is a dosage of vitamin D tablets that they consume. Well, how do we look at that for our daily life? We're to take our vitamins daily with God. Look in verses 8 through 10 again with me. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not on us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I find it interesting that the word sins in this verse of text is plural. It's not singular. God's not lumping them all up in the one basket here. He understands that there are many often in our life that we struggle with. There's not just one battle. Some of you that only have one, God bless you. But if you're like me, you probably have several sins that try to creep in and get a foothold into your life from time to time. I think it's just wonderful that God shares with us that sins are plural here in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't it beautiful that when we take the 
vitamin that God has prescribed for us. When we confess that sin, we receive the healing that we need. What a beautiful understanding of how do we walk with the light that God has given us. Now, now we understand that we've recognized the light. We know how to walk in the light, according to Scripture. Let's look at how the light guides us as a guiding light and what the Scripture tells us. And I'm going to give you two Scriptures. One you can find in Psalm 119, 105, a fairly familiar passage of Scripture for many, and another one in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. Let me read for you what the psalmist says about this issue of the guiding light that God gives us through His Word. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, number one, we see the scripture gives us an illumination for us to walk. It illuminates our path and it allows us to not stumble. You ever, you ever get up in the middle of the night to go check on your children? You open their door and you walk in to make sure they're covered up and then you step on a Lego. Right? The next day, your wife is ordering light light covers for all your outlets with night lights that come on automatically when they sense your presence, right? Because we know stepping on something in the dark hurts often. Stub a toe. Now, when you stub a toe when you're six foot two and some change, it takes a few minutes to register, right? You know it's going to hurt. You know you just hit it on something in the dark. And it's that prolonged period for me from when I know I just stubbed my toe, I already consciously think, oh man, this is going to hurt. And then it hits my brain about a millisecond later. But I already knew it was coming. You see, the psalmist is reminding us of what the scriptures of God do for you and I. They don't make us walk into a a room blind in dark. It is the light that goes before us so that we can see clearly the path that we're on. So that we can avoid the dangers. Now, I don't know about you, but in our sanctified state, when we have accepted Christ and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, Don't know about you, but every sin I've ever committed since I've been saved, I knew it was coming. Amen? Think about that for a minute. Let that resonate. Every single sin that we've committed after we've come to Christ. Don't be a liar now. We don't talk about the first John text. If anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar, right? So we know it happens. It's part of our spiritual maturity, part of our sanctification. God is sanctifying us. But every sin that we've committed in our sanctified walk with Jesus, there's no doubt in my mind that we all saw it coming. James would go on and explain that it starts with a thought in the mind. It becomes a desire of our heart. It becomes an outward action that we act upon. And then that action of sin leads to death. Right? I would argue for us in Christ, every sin we've ever committed, we saw it coming before we did it. But our desire pushed us down that path. Our own want of that sin pushed us down the path. Notice what the psalmist says to us. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Folks, I would argue, let's let that light shine so that we can see that sin and next time detour from it. We can resist as James chapter 4 verse 7 tells us, Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Folks, I don't think there's any reason why a sanctified believer in Christ Jesus who's been born again by the blood of Calvary's cross that put their hope and trust in the faith of the resurrection of Jesus on that third day when the tomb was empty. I don't believe there's any reason we can't avoid the sins of this world 
when we allow the light of God's word to illuminate our path. But the psalmist would go on and he would write, excuse me, in Proverbs, he would go on in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, and he would tell us not only does the word of God illuminate our path, as the psalmist wrote, but the proverb would tell us this, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Isn't that good? You see, we see God's word is not necessarily a suggestion for us. While there are prescriptive things in Scripture and then descriptive things to give us an understanding of the concept, God's word in of itself is the prescription to help us avoid the dangers and pitfalls of this fallen world. Proverbs 6.23, number one, tells us this. It's the commands of God that equip you and I. It's the commands of God that equip you and I. It's what helps us understand what we are to do. Where do we get our instructions up? Who guides us? Heaven forbid that we guide ourselves. How's the morality law in America working right now? Imagine if we guided ourselves just by public morality standards. Imagine if we guided ourselves just by our political standards. Imagine if we guided ourselves by our financial industry standards of what the world tells us we should do financially. Imagine if we guided ourselves by our own desires that the world says, have what you want now. I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. I'll pay for it later. I'm not worried about it. Imagine if those things guided us as opposed to the commands that God gives us to equip us with tools and abilities. That's what the proverb is telling us. It's a command that equips the people of God. Secondly, though, it's a teaching It's a teaching of light. It allows us to understand. Now, anytime I had to be taught something, I had to recognize there was something I didn't know first. I was having a conversation earlier about woodworking. That's one of my little hobbies that I like to do. I like to build things. Tangible. I get to see it at the end of my my day. It's, It's there for me. And I was asked, how long have you been doing it? I said, a long time. Many years, right? But I've learned over time it's gotten better. It's more gooder now than it used to be. Why? Because I've learned things recently that I didn't know how to do before. You see, it's interesting in God's word that the issue of teaching, it's to shed light on something that we don't already know. It's a revelation of something that we may have heard from time to time, but we didn't understand the gravity of what it meant for you and I. How many times do we hear, for God so loved the world, Cosmos, by the way, the creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. How often we hear that verse. How often we see it on a jersey, underneath somebody's eye, underneath their football helmet. But we don't take in the true weight of what it meant that God, the creator, Yahweh Elohim in the Hebrew, the Lord God, created, he so loved the world, his creation, you and me. Then what did he do? He gave something. Boy, isn't this the season of giving? The special gift that we can provide to that loved one to show them how much we really love them. 
What can we do that's unique? We can buy anything. But man, we're looking for that special something that will communicate what our heart feels towards that person we love. Here that text in John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world, what did he find to give? He gave his only begotten son. Why? For whosoever believes in him, putting their trust and faith in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, folks, I don't know about y'all, but that's the gift that keeps on giving. Amen? That's the gift that provides something that we can't possibly purchase. You want to talk about priceless? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Jesus would say, I believe the cross of Calvary, the blood of Jesus, is the gift that keeps on giving. It is truly the priceless gift. Lastly, though, the proverb tells us that the teaching is not only a light, but it's a discipline that leads to life. A life that Jesus says we're to have and have it in abundance. Now, I don't know about your walk with Christ, but I can, I can tell you, I can look back at the life history of my family, and my wife and I both can affirm that the moment we accepted Christ our life began to change immeasurably. All the things that I've been blessed with and education and jobs and experiences and other things that have come our way, I can, I can put on a calendar when our life began to change. And it was when I accepted Christ. God began to open doors to things that I would have never seen before. Now God will open many doors, but sometimes you've got to walk down the hallway to get to the next one. But God opens those doors. You see, that discipline leads us to a life that we can have. Let me share a picture with you real quick of, of what the opposite looks like. You ever reach during a power outage in your kitchen drawer and you pull that drawer open and you grab and you're, you're groping for that flashlight that you know is in there and you finally grab the flashlight and you try to flick it on and nothing happens. No light comes out of it. And then you begin to beat the flashlight against the countertop. At least that's what I do. Sometimes I throw it across the room, but nonetheless, all right. We beat on it to get the, the back of it opened up, and we unscrew it, and we dump out them batteries. We've got to beat on it a little harder to get the batteries out. And when the batteries hit the table, they look like this, all corroded, acid, all eaten up on the inside. That flashlight is doing no good. It's there supposed to provide light. It's supposed to help us shine. But because we didn't maintain it, through the disciplines, through the teaching, through following the commands that equip us as the body of Christ. Internally, that light corrodes, and it's no more good. Folks, the same thing happens in our spiritual walk. We may have the shell of a flashlight on the outside, but often if we're not remaining close to God and His Word, we're not remaining in the teaching and constant growing and developing and maturity we call sanctification in our life, that happens by the body of Christ and our individual walk with him and the discipline that it requires to know, hey, I need a little maintenance. Hey, I'm struggling. Who do I go to? I talk to my pastor. I talk to my Sunday school teacher. I talk to one of my deacons. I talk to a fellow brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, my light's not shining so bright anymore. Can you help me? Sure. Let's open it up and dump the batteries out and let's clean it off and let's put some fresh batteries in that. Let's get re-energized. Folks, that's 
What a picture of our spiritual life. If we allow the battery to just sit there without maintaining it, a poorly maintained flashlight won't work when you need it most. You'll reach for it. You'll try to turn it on, but you've got no light coming out of it. How important the fellowship of the body of Christ is. How important the study of God's word is. We don't do it because of religion. We do it because it's the prescription God has given us to make sure that the light of the world shines brightly through you and I. Poorly maintained flashlight won't work when you need it the most. A spiritually deficient body, a spiritually deficient Christian will find struggles that you can only overcome when you've got the power of Christ shining brightly in your life. But fourthly, I want to share with you what Matthew's gospel reveals to us that Jesus shares here about this issue that we're called to not only understand that we're to be a guiding light, but we are called to share the light. Now, if you've ever purchased a light, one of the things that I'm interested in as I'm walking around the woods every now and then at nighttime looking for things is anything with a bright lumen is better. And a brighter lumen, the brighter it shines, the more I can see, the better the visibility. The lumen is the basic term that measures how much visible light is emitted by a light source. This is described technically as its luminous flux, right? How much power does the candle put off? How much power does the light put off? And the more power, the higher the lumen, the more the light, the easier it is to see. That's just how it works, right? Let me share with you what Jesus tells us as recorded in Matthew's gospel in chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 about how we are to share the light, to be the lumen factor for the world. He says the following, picking up in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Now he breaks this down in these verses two ways. First he describes it and gives us a visual picture of what this means. And then he gives us an application in verse 16. Verse 14 is the picture. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now who is he talking to? Jesus was talking to his disciples. He wasn't talking to the crowd. He wasn't talking to the masses. He wasn't talking to everyone. While whosoever will believe is absolutely the call that Jesus gives us. Here, you are the light of the world. Jesus is referring to his light that's plugged into his source that provides the battery power to shine. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now notice he says city. He doesn't say individual. He doesn't say a lamp post, singular. He's not referring to you and I individually. He's referring to the city, the body of Christ, the unity of the church. I received a phone call yesterday, or, or I think it was yesterday, yesterday morning early, from another association mission strategist in a different area that found out someone in our community of Pine Bluff, North Carolina, her husband had passed away the night before, and she was in need of some physical repairs to her home. And when that brother shared that with me, you know what I did. I immediately picked up the phone, the bat line, and I started calling my deacons. So, brother, I'm aware of a need to a family in our community, our Jerusalem. Can we help them? Can you check that out, and can you help meet the ministry needs of our community? Within an hour, I was able to call that other pastor back and say, brother, the need has been fixed. The need has been addressed. We've got it from here. And here's the comment that I left him with after he said, thank you. 
The comment I texted him back with is, we are one church. Let this sink in for a minute. It's not my church. It's not our association. It's not his association. When the brother said he had a need, we fixed the need. Why? Because we are one church. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to be? Oneness together across the spectrum of where God has us shining in our world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Don't put it under. We don't cover the light. What do we do? We put a light on a stand so it can radiate. Right? And Jesus says this. And it gives light to all in the house. All in the house. Isn't that beautiful? Lights up the room so we can all see more clearly. Now in verse 16, he transitions to application in his great storytelling. Jesus was the master storyteller. Here's what he tells us in verse 16. In the same way, Jesus is saying, all right, listen up. Here's what I want you to do with it. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the application, what do we do with that? The lumen factor. How do we have the lumen factor? Number one, Jesus says, let your light shine. Your light. The possessive pronoun, you shine. Now, granted, he was, collecting, he was talking collectively to the whole, speaking to all of them as a group, but each one of us have a part in being the light of the world. We all have a light. You ever notice when you get multiple flashlights together, it shines brighter when you got more than just one? Every now and then I got one in my hand, one on my head, and I'm still looking. I wish I had a little more light. Because when we join them together, it's even more powerful, right? So let your light shine. Secondly, though, he says, let your works be evident. Evident. James says, Works, faith without works is dead, right? Why is Jesus saying, let your works be evident? Meaning, make it known. Folks, you ever, you ever knew somebody or know their life before Christ was pretty bad? Well, here's a little secret. All of our lives before Christ was pretty bad, Right? But you know that special someone is really, really bad by the world standards? We all know it. He doesn't have a prison, prison, rec, prison record. He's got a prison album, right? But then he comes to Christ, she comes to Christ, and then what happens? Something changes. The work of God that he's doing in their life becomes evident. Because normally Bob would have lost his temper in that conversation and would have punched the guy right in the face. But now Bob don't do that no more. I wonder what changed about Bob. Bob met Jesus. Bob shines brightly now, right? That's what happens to us in our life. The works become evident. We as a church, our works become evident to the community. That widow who lost her husband didn't know us from Adam. We don't know yet what her relationship is with the Lord, but we know one thing. We know she received the light of the world through the actions of his church, and she was blessed because of it. Think we're shining a little light in an area of darkness that she's currently walking, you better believe it. 
Let your works be evident, Jesus is saying. Yeah, pastor, but I don't want my right hand to know what my left hand is doing. You're right. I understand the concept in context. But here we know clearly we are to be a city on a hill. People should know there is something different about you and I. Did you know that when you pass a church, most churches, not all churches, there's always the exception, but we'll say this church. Did you know that the facility and the land that it occupies is the physical representation of the kingdom of God here on earth? Say it ain't so, preacher. It is. Why do you think we get a special tax-exempt status that Caesar doesn't tax the church? Why? It don't belong to Caesar. It belongs to God. This is the embassy, the outpost of God's kingdom. You and I, the city on a hill, are a representation of God's kingdom here on earth when you pass by this church, when you step foot on kingdom property. Isn't that a beautiful understanding? The city on a hill that can't be hidden. That's what we are as the body of Christ. Let our works be evident to the world. And then thirdly, what do we do with it? Who gets the glory? Notice Jesus says, let glory be given to God. Not man, not your preacher, not your Sunday school teacher, not your deacons, not your committees. Glory be given to God. There's no greater thing we could do than honor and glorify the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Glory be given to God. So if your light, was, if your light for Jesus was measured in lumens, how bright would it be shining? Let me share, and I'll close with this illustration. Now, we love Christmas trees, and I love them when they come with lights on them. Now, this Christmas tree, as you see, there's a few lights on it, but it's not inspiring, right? I'm not going to drive and load up the kids to go by and see that one with just a couple lights. It's not real powerful, is it? But notice the second picture. This one's got a little je ne sais quoi, a little ambiance to it. We all want to go stand at the base of this 37-foot tree, and we sit there and we marvel at the beauty of all the lights coming together and how bright it shines in the community. What you don't see in this picture is the group of people gathered around this thing because they want to see the brilliance of its light. What a wonderful understanding of we as the body of Christ, all shining brightly together. We become something that others want to gather around and see what's happening. And what made it all possible? I'd argue this next picture shows us not only the sunrise, but the very first Christmas tree that made it possible for the light to shine. The tree in which Jesus was hung across the Calvary. The body that was broken and the blood that was shed for you and me. Folks, what is the wonder of Christmas? The Christmas lights that Jesus has called you and I to be. What a beautiful understanding. If you don't know Christ, boy, could today be the best day, the best gift you've ever received in your life is to have the light of the life, the light of the world enter into you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we come to our time of invitation. And I want to invite you, if you're listening at home, if you've joined us and and you're in wonder of this Christmas season, I hope that this wonder is being explained. And his name is Jesus. And then truly, Jesus did love the world so much that he died for you and me. 
And he demonstrated that love on the cross of Calvary. Yet while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. He died for you. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you're here today and you don't know him, grab me by the shirt collar, grab me by the lapel mic, grab me by something and ask me, Pastor, how can I know the light of the world that takes away the darkness? So, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your light. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We thank you for this time of fellowship and this time of worship as we focus on you during this Christmas season. Father, I pray if there's one that's heard this word today that is convicted of their need for salvation, that you would give them the courage to resolve that issue with you. For today is the day of salvation. Thus saith the Lord. We thank you, Father, as the body of Christ. Help us join together. Many lights shine brightly. Father, help us to be the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We thank you for this time of worship. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.